This episode is sponsored by Linode. Do you need a Linux server for your latest creation? Then check them out. They provide SSDs, 40 gigabit per second network connections, and top of the line hardware to run your server on. It deploys Linux in seconds from the Linode cloud and you can choose your Linux distro and node location right from the manager. They have locations in Asia, North America, and Europe and they have a sweet set of tools to make it easy to manage it. If the web interface isn't your thing, they also have an API and a command line. So definitely go check them out. They also provide two-factor authentication, IPv6, DNS manager, cloning, scaling, and everything else that you want. So definitely get the most out of your Linux node and check them out at linode.com. And check them out at devchat.tv slash linode. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. It's me, Philip Morgan, your backup, backup host. And uh, on the panel today, although it's really not quite a panel with one person, is Jonathan Stark. Hello. Hey, Jonathan. <laughs> Pirate radio, baby. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. So we decided it would be fun to talk about guesting on your first podcast. Yes. And let me set this up in the following way. I have, for a long time, found that podcast guesting is a pretty good business development engine for me. It does not like bring me tons of clients who want to start working with me tomorrow, but the way I've used it, it's bring me lot brought me lots of uh, new email subscribers, many of whom become uh, customers of my book or clients for my services. So for me, it has become this, I won't say effortless, but nearly effortless way <laughs> to bring new people into into my world. And so of course I have been recommending it to lots of folks I work with. And in doing that, I have found that I think it scares the pants off of some people. <laughs> the mm -hmm. idea of going on a podcast, doing what we're doing, but, you know, being the, the sort of guest expert on somebody else's podcast. I, it's only maybe less scary than the idea of giving a presentation in front of a group of people. So, that made me think we could probably uh, help with that or, you know, folks who are maybe considering it, we could give some guidance around what exactly do you do or why do you, why you might want to do it. So I thought I'd start with that, Jonathan. Um, mm. Why don't I ask you a question, though, to also get a little more context in front of folks. What's been your history with podcast guesting? How have you used it in your business? Guesting. So I... I have done it for both businesses. So I've done it for my mobile consulting business and I have done it for my business coaching business. And I use it a little bit differently in those two businesses because the buyer is very different. So two different audiences, two different types of buyer. So in the, in the mobile consulting space, so my jonathanstark.com stuff, I'm very much trying to build authority and get people to trust me, not just so I can make a sale, but once I have made a sale, so they believe me more, they're more likely to take action on my advice. Cause that, I find that is actually pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. You can walk in and, and walk into a credit union and say, Hey, you guys, look, uh, you need to reconfigure your branches. You need to do something about your legacy software. You need to fire that third party uh, data processing 
uh, partner that you have, you need to, you need to redo your mobile app or you need to do a mobile app in the first place or that white, you know, it's all these things. There's a million reasons why they don't want to do them, right. but they'd probably be done in the first place. They might even know that they need to do them or some of them, and they just don't know the priority or, you know, what, what way to order them. And then they need, and, and sometimes there's just one internal advocate who hires me and it's kind of putting it on me to convince the rest of the team, something that that person couldn't convince them to do. Mm -hmm. So if you have hours and hours of you sort of talking about this stuff and being thoughtful about it and understanding the, the, the problems, you know, so it gives you an opportunity to kind of get into their ears and first, yes, get a sense of what it would be like to work with you and your personality and your demeanor and all of those things, how you comport yourself, as Alan Weiss would say, uh, but also to sort of start planting the seeds of these ideas and get them ready for change because businesses really hate change, especially and, and the more risky it is and the bigger it is, the more they hate it. So it's kind of a it's kind of it's a little bit of a sales tool, but it's also it's a trust building thing for me for my mobile business because I want people to believe in me that I can help them, of course, but also once they have decided to hire me, they'll actually execute the plans that we put together. Hmm. So, you know, that's very, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's less actionable, not actionable. It's like less direct, you know, that's like a sort of a hazy long-term thing. It's the same reason I would do, like a speaking engagement for that audience is the same reason I write books for that audience. I'm trying to increase trust. Yes. So they'll hire me, but also so they'll do what I say. That's, that's really interesting how it isn't just a marketing tool, but it's almost like a, uh, you're trying to marinate something <laughs> ahead of time. So it's, uh, it's an easier challenge to solve after you've been hired. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the fence, the, so the, the buyers for that are, you know, upper level managers or perhaps even uh, C-suite executives. And on the other side of the fence, expensive problem, business coaching things, my buyers are independent consultants or software developers. So solo software developers and the things that I'm selling to them are, are just completely different. You know, it's, it's more info producty and coaching type of things. So really there I'm doing what you're doing with podcast guesting, which is to try to spread the, the, the ditching hourly word, the, you know, the good word to an audience that hasn't yet heard the word, you know, heard the, heard the mission <laughs> and do the exact same thing at the end of the podcast. What I really want them to do is, is join a mailing list so that they can learn more about whatever it was I discussed on the show. And then, you know, once they're on the, the mailing list, we can engage in a conversation really. And, and they can, we both stand to benefit from that. So I'm really trying to attract people into my mailing list with that one. So it's very, very it's the very widest end of my funnel, if you want to call it that, where I don't, I don't care about SEO in the least. I don't think anybody's searching for this stuff. I think that you need to get out in front of somebody's audience and give them an idea that they never thought of before, at least in the case of what I'm selling. So many questions. Do you, do you think know. that, uh, do you think that CEOs actually listen to podcasts? This is something I, I sort of, I need more data on. I'm not where I want to be with this question in my business. It's from the uh, from the production and distribution end. So, 
if you have a podcast like the Freelancer Show or the Consulting mm -hmm. Pipeline Podcast or the Expensive Problem Podcast, mm -hmm. you don't know who's listening unless they uh, take some action and write you and mm -hmm. say, that was an awesome episode. Thanks. You just mm -hmm. don't know, right? Uh, and it's impossible to know. And that's actually that sort of beautiful aspect of podcasting is that it's, you know, as soon as you start collecting data on specifically who's listening, then advertisers like to swoop in and ruin things. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's wonderful that you don't know, but you still know. And in the distribution, you know, the, the platform like Simplecast, where you might host your podcast or iTunes, where you might list your podcast, they don't really know either. Although they're closer mm -hmm. to being able to know and thus far have maintain that line in the sand about anonymity of listeners mm -hmm. uh, beyond stuff like what uh, podcast app are they using? What operating system are they on? That kind of stuff, which doesn't really help answer the question. So the only real source for that information about do CEOs or CTOs or C-level people listen to podcasts would be asking those people themselves or spying on them somehow. Mm -hmm. What do you, I mean, what do you think the answer to that question is? I mean, you're right. There's no good way to track analytics on that that I'm aware of, but I have plenty of anecdotal evidence that, that it works. So it, for me, mm -hmm. so Kelly Shaver and I have a podcast called terrifying robot dog, which is about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. And I have gone to meeting client meetings where there's, you know, maybe a, a group of 30 people from my target market there. You know, it's not a trade show exactly, but you can kind of picture like a trade show and people come up to me and are like, Oh, we love the show hmm. and listening to, you know, so, and it's, it's not, and you know, and it, it includes high level executives. I'm, I'm actually, I mean, they're technical people. So it's more likely that a CIO or a CTO would listen to that particular show, mm -hmm. but they certainly, you know, I just have, I have plenty of friends. I'm a, I'm, I'm an advanced age. So I have plenty <laughs> of friends who are actually executives at companies and they listen to podcasts. It might not be it might not be Joe Blow's, you know, marketing tips podcast, but they listen to NPR and they listen to all these other things. And so, you know, there's no reason you can't go guest on an NPR podcast. Well, not, not that there's no reason it would be hard, but you could certainly do it. There's no, there's and no I, law against it. You're saying <laughs> exactly. You don't, you don't really need, uh, if you've got a strong message and you're articulate, okay, that's kind of important. You can get on those shows. So whether it's maybe, I don't know if this is true, but maybe Harvard Business Review has a podcast, um, A16Z, the Andreessen Horowitz podcast is probably listened to by technical people and, you know, financial services. But you and I both know it's not that big of a deal to just ask a few people like, hey, do you listen to any podcasts for, for work purposes? That's a pretty docile request. If you want to, if you're looking for a way to cold email someone and start to get on their radar, pick a, you know, pick five people on LinkedIn that are your target buyers. You know, in my case it would be a CMO of a credit union and just shoot them an email thing. That's like, Hey, do you listen to any podcasts for work? I'm looking for new podcasts to listen to. Who's not going to answer that? I mean, they might just ignore it of course, but it's not, it's a non-threatening way to a find out the answer to your question and B, get on this person's radar and perhaps connect with them. H Harvard Business Review does, in fact, have a podcast, which they call HBR IdeaCast. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's a recurring public service announcement is uh, if you don't know and Google doesn't give you the answer, <laughs> just ask somebody. <laughs> yeah. People are more willing than you think to. I mean, uh, let me let me stop myself right there. People are more willing than you think to say yes to an opportunity to feel smart. And that's what happens when you ask somebody a question like that. You're giving that's them an opportunity to feel smart. Very good to put it. Yeah. So uh, don't, you know, just ask. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess let's dive into what we're, what we said we were going to talk about, which is, let's say somebody is interested in trying this and they, um, that what, what I, what I always like to do, I, I think you probably would approach this a little differently, Jonathan, is I always like to prepare people for the fear that they're going to experience when they try something new like this. So, um, you probably had no fear your first time you guessed it on a podcast. I was a little nervous though, because <laughs> my fear was they're going to, I'm going to look like an idiot because I'm going to be unprepared in some way that I did not even know to prepare for. Mm-hmm. So I, that might've been my number one fear. The other things I've heard people talk about, because I've, you know, I've communicated with people around this, not really transition in their business, but around the time they've thought about trying this and other things that come up are, I'm going to sound like a dummy cause I'll say a bunch of ums and ahs. <laughs> um, what's another one? See, there you go. Um, they'll hit you with a, well, you're afraid that they'll hit you with a question that'll stump you. Right. You'll get stumped. I actually had this happen the other day. I was doing a presentation to a small group and I said, blah, 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 blah. There are five things you need to know before you specialize. And I got three fifths of the way through the list and I forgot the last two. (laughs) I've done that. I've done it. (laughs) So, uh, it it actually does happen. Like that can happen no matter how well prepared you are, no matter how many years you have been spent spending focusing on your thing, it can happen. Mm -hmm. So some of these fears are based on the fact that yes, that could happen and it could feel terrible, but in your experience, like, I guess just respond to some of those fears from your perspective. Sure. Yes. First of all, it's in any speaking engagement type of situation, the most, perhaps the most powerful thing I ever learned, and I've been speaking in front of people for 20 years. And before that I was a musician. So I'd go on stage talking to a mic. So the most powerful thing in terms of getting rid of fear is just recognize that it's totally fine to say, I don't know. And when somebody asks you a question, Q and a is always my favorite part of any talk. And when someone asks you a question, you're going to be nervous. If you're afraid to say, I don't know, you're going to be scared of Q and a because there's a, you know, there could be a hundred, there could be 200, 300,000 people in the room. And there's no, no, there's no way to know, predict what they're going to say. So, you know, it's obviously, you know, your stuff or you wouldn't be up on stage or you wouldn't have uh, weaseled your way into this podcast guesting situation. So you, uh, we're just going to assume that you, you know something about your thing, but you don't need to know everything. You just need to know more than the listeners. If it happens that someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, the worst thing you can do is to try to BS your way through it. Because especially if it's being recorded, that will haunt you. So just be like, you know, that is a great question. I, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. 
but if I, I'll be happy to look that up and post it on Twitter, post it on my blog. That's I, I should know the answer to that, and I'll publicly share the answer once I figure it out. And what that does to people, I've seen people just sit back and like agape, like oh, I can't believe you just said that. Like they're impressed that I was that I was confident enough to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. The other thing it does is it makes all the other things that you did know sound realer because wow, if he's not afraid to say, I don't know, then he must really know all that other stuff. And people, I'm not just making this, this is not just my impression. People come up to me and they're like, I could not believe the way you handled the Q and a, that was amazing. Hmm. So does it take confidence to get up there in front of people that, you know, when you're supposedly setting yourself up as an expert and say, you don't know something? Sure. And, and if they ask you 10 questions, they don't know, maybe you should rethink your expertise, but a question or two, you're not going to get stumped that many times. A question or two, I think it's fine. After that, then it's maybe time to go back to the woodshed. And, you know, your audience maybe knows a little bit more about this than, than you do. So either find an audience that doesn't mm-hmm. or, you know, research those things and just, you know, it, every, the, another quote that I like is everything's practiced for the next time. So it's not like this, whatever this big appearance is that you're going to do, it's, it's just practice for the next time you're probably going to, it's not going to be perfect. It's never perfect. So you're going to learn something from it and you can improve and get better for the next one. It's not like, you know, I'm used to doing like musical performances. So you just keep going, (laughs) you're not going to stop. And I think that, that those will really help with the fear. Uh, Another thing, this is just, I I suppose this is obvious, but when you're doing an audio podcast like this, or even when you're giving a, 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 doing like a speaking engagement, if you have, if you have, slides give yourself notes not a script unless you're going to go like ted talk and you have to literally memorize word for word like your entire talk like the way like to happy birthday levels of of memory you know like you could just stop or start in the middle you know most people are not going to memorize their whole talk it'd be impossible on a podcast yeah so what you do is just have you know just a small five by eight piece of paper with the three, not 10, not 17, but three points you want to get across in the top, in the, in the talk. So maybe a beginning, middle and end of, of interesting points. You don't have to stick to them. They might pull you sideways, but you know, three things. And then underneath each of the three things, maybe three more subtopics that you want to touch on. And if you have anything like you said, you know, you know, like five, the top five, yada, yada, or the the five pillars of business or whatever they are, you're going to blank on them. Even if you know them cold, you're going to blank on them. Just like you sometimes blank on like a good friend's name when you're like introducing somebody like I just spaced on my best friend's wife's name, (laughs) like in front of her, you know, you're going to space because there's a little bit of pressure. There's, there's some adrenaline going, things feel a little weird. Uh, you know, you're excited and there's, you know, you can, you could call it anxiety, you could call it anticipation, but you're going to feel a little weird and on the spot. So being able to glance over and, and not panic is super helpful. So have, have a couple of notes, just a little bit, not a lot. And, and, you know, if somebody stumps you with a question, just say like, great question. I should know the answer to that, but I don't, I'll get back to you. I think it's productive to Put yourself in situations where there's the right amount of difference between your sort of current level of expertise and 
like the demands of the situation. In other words, I think that produces growth. I think it's productive. It's the same thing as going into the gym and, you know, not just lifting the weight that you're comfortable with, but something that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. How far sure. would you stretch that <laughs> for yourself? Um, I'm not sure if this is the answer to the question. And I just dropped a huge um bomb. <laughs> You're <laughs> fired. <laughs> <laughs> so it's never going to be perfect. I, I would be, it would take an incredible amount of preparation for me to not be nervous doing like a Ted talk or going on NPR. Mm -hmm. If it was a topic that I felt shaky on. So it, it reminds me of high school. I used to be, I always thought in high school that I, uh, what, what do they call it? A book report? And you'd go up in front of the room and sort of like give a book report. Yeah. Is that, that was that just about high right. school? Yeah. No, no, that, I, I, I experienced those as well. Okay. I used to dread that like, sh like hands shaking, sweating, the whole mm. thing. The reason why was because I didn't do my homework. <laughs> I, was super, super, I was like one of those kids that just skated by in high school bees without any studying whatsoever. But when I like, I would get total performance anxiety when I was put on the spot like that. Cause I couldn't wing it. Yeah. And if, if you, it could be that if you, if you are super nervous about doing a presentation like that or being guesting on a podcast, it might be that there, you have more homework to do. It could be. Or it could be that you are intimidated by the host for some, you know, maybe you're starstruck or maybe you know that it's a combative type of person and they're going to be attacking you. Or it could be that, you know, the audience is gigantic and this opportunity, you know, if you flub this opportunity, it, it'll feel like that was your last chance. Like you now look like a dummy in front of a massive swath of your target audience. So those things all... So what I started by saying was that a TED talk for me would be a gigantic home run, but I would have to prepare so much. It's such a huge opportunity mm -hmm. that I would, I would almost have to take six months off to prepare for it. Okay. It would, it would be, so it's kind of like in order for me to get past the nerves it would have to be, and, and I don't even think I could do a TED talk for my mobile business. I haven't got an idea that big. Mm -hmm. The ditching hourly thing I think is big enough to actually do a TED talk on because it's so deeply entwined in our society. Right. That, and, and people don't seem to think about it. So it's like, it's a light bulb kind of idea, but I would be sweating for that one. Yeah. Um, something in the middle, like maybe a Harvard business review podcast, it would be, I would do, you know, I would try to keep to the topic. Uh, I wouldn't try to push the envelope on any of my ideas. So like I have some ideas that are core tried and true. I know they land every time. So like, like a, a comic knows which material is edgy and doesn't always work and sometimes bombs. And he knows the stuff that just kills every time because he's got it down. He knows it. So if you're going to go, if you're going into a situation, and this ties into the fear thing where you either feel like it's a big opportunity or you just, you're just never going to get past the nerves. Stay, stay way in your comfort zone on the content 
stick to the stuff that you know blows people's minds that maybe you've said it a million times before so it doesn't feel new but stick with that because you're pushing your boundaries in the context of the interview so you're either you're you're on larry king you know i would be panic stricken on larry king because it's such a huge opportunity and because he you know he's a great interviewer or howard stern so you know these people they're going to pull you in a direction that you're not expecting so i would try really hard to stick to my core ideas, the ones that I think are the most, uh, the 80, 80% core, like light bulb thing. That's going to really change people's ideas. I'm not saying dumb it down, but just stick to your core stuff and don't let yourself in those situations. Maybe this is a different, maybe this is a different, uh, a tangent, but don't go on tangents. <laughs> Try really hard not to go on yeah. tangents because <laughs> you get lost and it's, and people start to be like, wait a second, where are we? Like, what are we talking about? And, and sometimes, uh, like I, I, I say this completely from personal experience, you can't find your own way back from the tangent. Right. What was the question? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I forgot the question, but I hope I answered it. So I have a problem with this all the time. I, I'm doing it right now because we're, we're kind of doing this on the fly. We're just sort of thinking through this and trying mm -hmm. to like come up with, you know, I don't have a big out. I have some notes here that I took, but I don't have a big outline and this isn't a topic that I talk about that often. So we're kind of just brainstorming a little bit. Yeah. One of the, one of my bad habits and I see a lot of people do it is I'll interrupt myself, which is a common speech pattern, but it makes it really, it can make it really hard to follow. So I'll say to myself, I can feel myself doing it. I just did it. Right. So mm -hmm. I can feel myself doing it where I'm, I have an idea, I'm finishing a thought or I'm halfway through a thought. And I think of an adjacent topic or the next topic too quickly. And I jump to it. Yeah. And when it, whenever I go back and listen to interviews where I did that, I, where I prevented myself from doing that, where I was able to prevent myself from jumping ahead or jumping around. I'm like, Oh man, that's so much better. But it, as anybody who's ever had their own interviews or their own podcast transcribed, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, it's really hard not to do that. And it's a little unnatural if you just proclaim sentence after sentence after sentence with no sort of pausing or jumping around, you, you're probably going to have a little bit of it, but some people are just crippled by it and they're just jumping all over the place, tangent after tangent after tangent. And you never feel like you get back to the original point. Yeah. You know, somebody says, okay, the, the, there's two parts to that answer. You, the question you just asked has two parts first da, 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 and you never get back to second. Right. Yep. Yeah. You, I, I revise myself a lot as I speak and it's what you're talking about right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, especially if you're nervous, stick to your lines, memorize your lines, memorize a few sound bites, things that, you know, land every single time and just execute them confidently. And when you finish saying it, stop talking, you know, stop talking once in a while, let the host jump in, ask another question or clarify or whatever. But, uh, I'll yeah, stop talking. One one thing that I'm not sure how obvious it is. Most podcasts are done audio only, even though they tend to be done. If they're an interview type podcast, they tend to be done over Skype. Not always. I've had some done over Google Hangouts, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
but they tend to be done audio only. So you don't have that body language that tells you when the opening is to jump in with what, you know, a reaction to something somebody said or the next big idea or whatever it is. So there, there can be a lot of awkward pauses when you're recording a podcast. Those often, if they don't get edited out by the podcast showrunner, they they can get erased by, you know, stuff like really good algorithms on that speed up playback, like Overcast is an example of a podcast app that does pretty well with eliminating long pauses. So it feels strange compared to a, a natural real-time conversation that you would have with someone right there or someone you know well. But those pauses are actually, they're not noise or signal. They, they signal that, okay, now the next thing can happen. Now that person is done speaking. Yeah, don't always feel, th this is perhaps, this might be one of the toughest things to learn, which is to not jump into the gap to let the space happen because it's really just from a technical standpoint, it's really easy to clean that stuff up later if it doesn't automatically get cleaned up, like you just pointed out, but it helps you, it helps you slow down too. It helps you think instead of your mouth, just going, you know, these are all things I'm guilty of, by the way, I know I do a lot of this stuff, but you, you can work at it and just get better at it every time. So one of the, one of the, a good way to slow down is to just remove the word um from your vocabulary. When you, when you're about to say um, just don't say it, just have no sound. And when you listen back later, you're going to be like, wow, that wasn't the gigantic pause that I thought it was. It felt, felt like a million years elapsed while I formed my next thought or, or search for the vocabulary word that I couldn't quite think of. Saying um does nothing but make you sound like a dope. Just don't say it. Uh, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> and and that, that's the kind of thing you have. I think there's things that you can learn only by guessing on a podcast. I think there are other things you can learn anywhere that you have some some time and space to practice. And what you just said just now, Jonathan, is absolutely one of those things you can practice offline. You can practice it while you are taking a shower, you know, at just any time. Mm -hmm. And it's a great skill to learn. I think I had a similar sort of trial by fire at first. Like I, I can't, well, I mean, I, I think I performed on stage once or twice as a musician, but I had some sort of onstage experience being a technical trainer. And there was a there was a significant delta between my, cause I, d I had this job right out of college. There was a significant delta between my level of experience and the people that I was teaching. Mm -hmm. One of the things you learn is the pauses are beneficial to the audience because they can, it, it's a, it's time for something to absorb into their thinking. They have a moment to reflect on it and think about it that actually is super valuable when you're teaching. It drives me crazy actually that overcast and a lot of these other players automatically remove the spaces because you're right. I, I use them. You know, if, if you want, if you just have some big idea or important, important statement and you want it to sink in and then you just boom onto the next thing, it's, it's weird. I feel like it makes it more difficult for the thought to sink in. Yeah, a, yeah, really good 
editor, like, you know, the kind of people who are editing NPR programming, they know that and they, they bake that kind of stuff into their editing approach. It's, they're not just trying to get the maximum information density. They're mm-hmm. respecting that it's a, it's a mental and an emotional experience to listen to really good voice programming. Mm-hmm. So how let's, we've talked about a little bit about so a couple of tips, like things to do to kind of calm your nerves, uh, what to do if you get stumped. There's, there's technical stuff like it, it would be nice if you had a good mic. You definitely want to wear headphones. Uh, you know, that, that stuff, I don't know, is, is plenty of podcasts to talk about that. Uh, what about, and, and first we talked about why you might want to do it because it can be a trust building. It's definitely a trust building exercise and it could be potentially part of your funnel to bring sales in. But how have you gone about getting on somebody else's podcast. So like, how do you pick, you know, is it that people reached out to you? Do you reach out to them? How do you pick the ones that you reach out to? How do you reach out to them? Those sorts of things. So if if someone listening is thinking, yeah, I can pull this off or I want to start trying to get better at it. How would they go about trying to, to get into that? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. So if you check them out at the show's link, that's Hired.com slash freelancer show, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash freelancer show. Well, I'll share what I've done. I, I still have some questions about perhaps how it's best used for the typical person. That's dumb. Like there's no typical person, but... I I have some sort of unanswered questions. I'd love to bounce bounce off of you, Jonathan. So I started with a, like I had a book before, before I was ever on any podcast. So I had something of a platform or something public facing that was like uh, sending the message. This is the kind of guy that you want to have on your podcast. In, in other words, I was I was sort of fitting a pattern, if you know what I mean. And the pattern is yes. like somebody who's written tour. a book is yeah, exactly, book tour. Somebody who's written a book is probably going to have something interesting to say. He's safe to have on the mm-hmm. podcast. I started, like you mentioned, uh, doing a TED talk, and I started with not the equivalent of doing a podcast TED talk, <laughs> if, if the analogy <laughs> makes sense. Like I, I started lower on the ladder of 
what is it? The the ladder of sort of if you screw up, you're you're going to really feel bad about it. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I'm not quite sure how to define it, but you know, just sort of the ladder of yeah, authority or whatever. Yeah, the, the yeah. lowest risk. So you know, I was on a few podcasts that are lower risk, easier to get on, and I just you know reached out and said, "Hey, would you like a guest for your podcast?" I I, I guess I should be more specific than that, but I don't remember exactly what I did. But mm -hmm. I think the, the the key point that I'm trying to make is I sort of fit the profile of someone who's a podcast guest. So, and, and I guess my question is like someone who does not have some of those public facing assets that make them look like a podcast guest, I think is going to have to approach it a little differently. They're going to have to work a little harder at saying, I really do have something interesting to say. So mm -hmm. that led to a sort of word of mouth referral effect you know I, other people asked me to be on their podcasts uh i definitely anybody who i knew who had a podcast i said hey do you you know do you want me to be on your podcast we could talk about positioning and i made i've made over the course of being on many podcasts the critical error of not collecting the, enough metadata about my own activities i guess i focused on doing the thing that i forget to track somewhere that I did the thing. Yeah. And so now I can literally, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've been on. I don't know. Mm. I literally don't know. I, I'm seriously considering hiring somebody to try to go find out for me <laughs> by you know, doing some Google searching. Mm -hmm. So that feels dumb, but over time I've sort of tapped out the immediate network. This book that I'm working on, the uh, specializing without failure. I talk about that in the context of finding work. Like you and I have talked about that, Jonathan. I think you're really mm -hmm. the person who crystallized for me. When you start something new, like everybody you know is going to try to help you. And that's generally for the new self-employed person where that first wave of work comes from. And that may last them three to five years, really, that first mm -hmm. wave. And then that taps out. So I'm at that point with podcast guesting where there's nobody else that I know of that I can reach out to and say, hey, you know, why don't I be on your show? So I have to reach out to strangers, which I've been doing over email. I did. I'm just going to be, uh, it's funny because I got an email during the recording of this podcast. I'll read it to, <laughs> to give some, uh, I think people have a laugh at my expense, which is good. Um, so I, I've been reached, I, I got this list of podcasts that John Somnes published on his website of podcasts for software developers. That's my audience. Mm -hmm. So that list was very useful for me. Kai Davis, friend of the show, had his virtual assistant enrich that list with contact info. And then I used that to do a very quick and dirty outreach campaign. So my email to these podcast hosts said, would you like me to guest on your podcast to talk about how specialization can help self-employed software developers increase their rates and get better clients? It was a one-line email and two follow-ups, which are basically like, hey, did you get my message? Absolute mm -hmm. quick and dirty not polished, not well-researched, like this is not best practices in any way. But I, th that was the campaign. I reached out to about 80-some podcast hosts. Here's an email I just got back <laughs> from uh, the host of a podcast I won't name. He said, you didn't listen to the podcast. Otherwise, you'd know that's not what we do. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to write him back and say, yeah, no, I didn't. I just thought I'd ask instead of listening. Um, but thanks, <laughs> thanks for the, uh, you know, thanks for... Thanks for the reply. Like, I, I don't see any, I mean, maybe it look, makes me look bad. I don't know. That's up to him. 
but I don't see any real problem with doing that. So that's not really the recommended way to do it. The recommended way to do it is develop more of a pitch where you can help this other person um, imagine what it would be like to have you on the show, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? I follow Kai's approach. Speaking of Kai, Kai is a email writing outreach master. It's just amazing. And he uh, has a template. I think it's on his site. We'll, we'll do some quick Googling and see if we can add that to the show notes. But he's he, he has this template that whether or not I initiate the communication with the host. So, so if I email a host or if the host emails me to see if there's any interest, the immediate conversation is around here are three, I will suggest three topics that would be of interest to the audience. So if, if I send an email to the show host, for, I, I would, it takes extra work, uh, but I would at least find out if they accept guests and, but that's about it. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to do. I know you didn't do that, but, um, it's not too hard. You can just look at the episode list and it'll say immediately if they have guests or not. And I'll just sort of review that. Uh, I'm more of a, I'm more of a do one or two at a time rather than 80 at once type of person. Because if I send out 80 and then they start emailing me back, then I have to be like, well, wait a second. I don't even know who this is. Yeah, and I just quick, get quick, myself confused. Totally. Quick clarification. I did throttle it, but I absolutely agree with what, everything you're saying. Like the, the more high touch, uh, slower pace, deeper research approaches. Like I'll never do this. What I just did again, I guess to, um, not save face, but just to say like, I try, I wanted to try it, but I won't ever do it again because it doesn't feel quite right. Anyway, just yeah. wanted to amplify what you're saying. Right. I mean, I'm on a bunch of, I, I run, yeah, I'm not going to run this podcast, but we get, we get a lot of fair number of emails of people who want to be guests. I have a couple of other shows. I've had other shows over the years and it doesn't take a lot of, it, it really separates when a guest comes to you there, I interrupt myself four times in a row. When an email comes in to you that shows the slightest concern for my situation as a host, I'm almost definitely going to have them on. It's like, I'm going to be like, wow, this person must have at least read my episode list. They know what the show's about and they're not, you know, it, it's just dramatically increases somebody's chances of, of guesting on a, a podcast that I host. If there's a, the teeniest bit of uh, what would you call it? Empathy or you focus, you know, yeah, or do it just doing your homework is another way to think about that. Right. Sure. It's, right. And it, you know, you got to go and look and the episode titles. Like, oh, okay. And plus I kind of want to know how many, I'm curious how many stars they have. I'm curious how many reviews they have. I'm, I kind of want to know how big a deal the show is if I've never heard of it before to kind of, kind of set my own expectations for how nervous I should be or, you know, how much preparation I should do or whatever. But okay. So, so however it happens, whether they initiate or I initiate, the first thing that gets discussed is, is here, here are three topics that I would suggest that I think would be appropriate for the audience. I think your audience would be interested in, these would be valuable topics for them to hear about and just 
you know, if one of these is of interest to you, just send back a thumbs up and let me know what it takes to be, you know, whatever I would need to do to prepare to be on and, you know, scheduling, we can work out scheduling, all that stuff. So Kai's got this template somewhere. If it's not on his site, then uh, I will, I'll post a version of it. I found it. Oh, cool. So yeah. it'll be in the show notes and it's pretty short, but it's topic one, topic two, topic three. Here's why it would be of value. And, and what do you think? And the cool part about this is it feeds into some stuff we talked about earlier, which is, you know, to have some notes, to know what you're going to talk about, to stick to the thing you're going to talk about instead of sort of expounding on everything you ever knew about everything, uh, stick to the point. And yeah, I mean, I think it just sets up the, it sets up the episode way in advance to be a focused, clear, valuable, helpful talk which since it's recorded and, and publicly available for free, just creates this sort of adds to the flywheel effect of your body of work, you know, in the space. Did, yep. I, did I answer the actual question? <laughs> Who knows? How, how do you do outreach? How do you do outreach? Yeah. Find out if your audience listens to podcasts, you find out what ones they listen to. You reach out to the host with an email that suggests a few topics and, and maybe if you're going crazy, actually listen to an episode first and be like, Hey, I love that episode with, you know, Seth Godin. I thought the first 15 minutes were amazing the way you interviewed him and you put him on the spot like that. Uh, listen, I, I do something different, but I have three topics that I think would be of interest to the audience. So what do you think? And it, you know, it's definitely takes a little bit of work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, I, part of me, again, not actually saving face. I, I really did want to try like a quick and dirty outreach just with essentially as close as you can get to zero actual <laughs> research to see if it would work. And it was as the results were as crappy as I thought. I, I read the email from the guy who's like, ha, oh, you didn't listen to the podcast, you dummy. And I, I would also add to that, that I have gotten a very low response rate from this outreach. Mm. So yeah, that's the go, kind folks. of email I would just delete. I would just delete that. Yeah, and I, I think most people probably did. I was. I, it wasn't like, hey, do you want me to, have to be on a guest on your podcast? And not giving any context. It was giving, but it was mm. giving the minimal amount of context and displaying that not much effort was put into it. So I can uh, now, I think, more authoritative, authoritatively say, don't do that. <laughs> you got to <laughs> do your homework. And that, that was honestly, that really was part of the experiment. Well, I was curious where the, where the threshold is. Right. Cause if you get an email like that, you're like, well, this person's not going to prepare for the show either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you want someone who's already, it feels like they're maybe not all the way in your tribe or in your audience, but at least knows what's going on. And, and in fact, the more you do know about a podcast, the better you can be. I remember one, one of the, one of the, podcast appearances that I was careful to prepare for. I'm not going to say nervous, but I was careful to prepare for was the first time I was on Boag World, which is a hugely popular web design podcast. And, and, and it, I was, I was kind of starstruck a little bit because that was the first podcast that I started listening to on a regular basis. And I was just like, I felt like every, you know, once a week, I was hanging out with Paul and Marcus. So when it was, but just listening. So when it became two way and we were talking, 
it was like, whoa, <laughs> but, but I knew all their inside jokes and I even made some of their own jokes to them. And mm-hmm. it, it, it made, I think in that particular case, you know, patting myself in the back, but I felt like it made for a much more, I, I want to say entertaining is the word I'm looking for. It made for a more entertaining episode. And the, and I think that I suspect that it positioned me as more of a peer than a subordinate. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I was equally as comfortable as they were. I was totally familiar with their format. The transitions were completely smooth. It, it just felt, you know, I had done, I had prepared. I knew what I was going to say, but I also knew their shtick. And there's a lot of, a lot of comedy in the show. And I tried to do what I could to fuel that. Yeah. So, you know, you can, so if somebody sends you an email like, Hey, I have a book. Can I come on? It's like, that's kind of what you imagine that they're going to just dial in the performance and you hear those like or in Claff, not to call someone out, but okay, forget I said that, but you hear sometimes people come on shows and they just do their bullet points and they want to hang up mm-hmm. and it's like, it's insulting to the host and it's insulting to the audience. Yep. Uh, that goes both ways, by the way. Um, I've been on a guest on podcasts where the host was, Clear, clearly phoning it in. Mm-hmm. You know yes, what I mean? Me too. Yes, I do. I was kind of asking, asking questions that I sent them in email. Yeah. Or you know, just like, it was very perfunctory. It, mm-hmm. uh, others where they're trying, but clearly they don't have the bandwidth to prep much for the show. So they're just kind of trying to set me up to give the next talking point. So it doesn't <laughs> feel like an actual conversation. And I'm sure the listeners can hear that. And it actually doesn't make either of us look good. Yes. Yep. I, um, I've been listening to a new podcast by my friend Mark Butler and it's so good. It's called the Mark Butler show. It's a, it's a solo podcast. It's, you might enjoy it, Jonathan. Actually, I think some of our listeners might enjoy it. That's the reason I mentioned it. There's, he's talking about running the kind of business that you and I both run and I, I think more people want to run where they've got this mix of products and services. It's not all services-based revenue. Mm. And um, I don't remember why I brought that up, other than I've just been dying to give him a shout-out for uh, quite a while uh, because the show is just so good. Mm. Yeah, there we go. We'll call that a, call that a pick. Another tangent. <laughs> yeah, I guess that'll, that'll be... Uh, I'll circle back to that during picks. Yes. One, one last question. What do you think ruins a podcast guest appearance? You mentioned sort of, uh, you know, faking it when you don't know earlier. I agree. Mm -hmm. That's completely obvious to anybody who's not fully asleep, (laughs) you know, like in the audience who's not fully asleep. Uh, What what else do you think? Uh, Not ruins it, but you know what I mean? Just if you knew about it, you wouldn't do it because of how bad it comes off. (laughs) I've been, the first thing that came to mind, and this is extremely rare, but the first thing that came to mind is when you have a guest come on who doesn't know that their position on something is the polar opposite of the host's position. So the, the person comes on to promote an idea that every week is bashed. 
you know, like it'd be like somebody coming on this show and being like hourly billing is the best thing ever. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. And we'd all just be looking at each other like, is this person for real? <laughs> it, would, and, it would be like drawing straws to see who has to break it to them. <laughs> yeah. I hate to tell you, but this isn't going to go live because we're about to rip you to shreds. Um, and out of respect for you, we're not going to publish it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, I, I can think of that happening on a couple of occasions on, on this show and others where somebody came on, it was just there. I want to, I want to say they're just like, they're all hustle and no, no content. It's just all mm. like, you know, all had no cattle mm. where, oh yeah, like, yeah, move or shake talk really fast. Blah, blah, blah. And then they, <laughs> and they have some idea that doesn't pass the sniff test. But I don't think, you know, I, I think that would ruin a show. But I mean, we've been, we started off by saying that, you know, you you don't have to be a worldwide expert on, I don't know, responsive web design, but you just need to know more than the audience of the podcast. And you come on and say some things that are very valuable to them. You know, it might not be valuable to a room full of web developers, but it'd certainly be valuable to a room full of maybe marketers. So that might, is that an, is that an interesting, are we too late in the show to have, have like how to pick your audience type of thing? I wonder if that might be. I'm okay with going, going a little long. Uh, I've got to call it the top of the hour, but I, I think that is a super valuable topic is the question of, it's, it's sort of a multifaceted question. The, the, the base question is what do you talk about? What, what do you have that is interesting enough to ask a podcast host if you can be on their podcast, right? That's the core question. Mm -hmm. and it's it sort of gets complicated pretty fast because it's like how much of a delta does there need to be between your level of expertise and the podcast audience which is this amorphous blob that the the host may know a little bit about or nothing mm -hmm. at all about or a lot about anyway so That's, your initial reaction to that core question yeah so i just i just i think i having a way to tie this up with a nice big bow. Okay. So I just recognize a couple of things come together. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about as we closed this episode was what to do when you're done with the interview and, and this all feeds in all together. So if you kind of think of the begin with the end in mind concept, when you're done with the podcast and the, the host is going to say something to you like, hey, Joe, where can people find out more? Where can our listeners find out more about you? It is my advice to not say, oh, my website's abc.com and I'm on Twitter. I'm like that guy, Joe, and you can find me on LinkedIn if you Google search for this. And I've got a lanyard account and a slide share. Don't do that. No one's going to remember any of that stuff. Have one and exactly one thing that people should do and make it as memorable as possible so that they can say, you know, say something like, um, you can, it, ones I've used in the past are like go to expensiveproblem.com slash clients from hell. And there'll be a page there specifically for audiences, audience members listen to this episode with a whole bunch of free stuff there, including how to join my mailing list, which or my free five day email course or my lead magnet, my check sheet, my, my uh, checklist or my cheat sheet. Some kind of, especially, I think it's especially important to have some kind of lead magnet for them to, for the entire episode to have been driving them to want at the end. Another approach, I know 
Philip, you do this all the time, which is to, to pick a vanity domain that's easy to remember. The one I use is valuepricingbootcamp.com. And, and, and I learned this from Chuck, the dear departed Chuck, to, to put a trigger, to attach a trigger to it. So I'll say something at the end of the show, the host will say, where can people find out more? If people are, if people are interested in ditching hourly billing, where can they find out more about you? And I'll say, I'll say, all right, well, dear listener, the next time somebody asks you for your hourly rate, I want you to remember to go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and take my free five day email course. So it implants this, this like bomb <laughs> that's going to go off hmm. the next time this thing happens to them. And they'll be like, Oh, now hopefully, I mean, it's possible that they could, as soon as they hear this in the podcast, they just rush over to their web browser and go to that URL or maybe later it's triggered. And they're like, Oh yeah, what was that thing? I think a guy's name was Jonathan Stark. I think I heard it on clients from hell and you just sort of plant that seed. The thing that you send them to should be something highly to piece of content. Like Philip, you call it sometimes a tent pole piece of content or what, what would you call, what would you call, um, what would you call a free email course? Is that like, I, yeah, I have used that term in the past and I like that one way to cast it is in terms of a marketing funnel. It's pretty close to the mouth of a, of a marketing funnel. Another way to like, I, for me, it's just kind of my go-to call to action. And, and mm -hmm. I, I love the idea of a specific mini resource center for a specific podcast appearance. Mm -hmm. But the work when you're doing making, a lot, yeah, yeah it, it kind of depends on your workload and other other factors as to whether that's actually sustainable. So anyway, yeah, terminology aside, it's just it's kind of a focal point. It's um, I, I think there may be some value in having the same call to action across multiple podcasts, because if you're focused on a market vertical or an audience or an ecosystem of people who might listen to more than one podcast that you're on. I do think it has a kind of reinforcing effect. So maybe the first time someone doesn't respond to that call to action, but the third time they do. Mm -hmm. Yes. So imagine, if you will, dear listener, that you, knowing that you're going to go on this air quotes book tour, but really it's a free email course tour, or it's some piece of content that you're created. That is the thing when you're doing your outreach and suggesting topics for the show host and deciding this, here's how it wraps up. Deciding what audiences to choose, you'll already know that, or you should know that, before you created the lead magnet or the, the free email course or whatever it was in the first place, you should know that before you create that thing. And when you know that, you've got you know, CMOs of credit unions, that is my target market. Okay, great. I've created this valuable free thing for CMOs of credit unions. All right, great. I know my audience. Now I'm going to perhaps ask those people as we talked about earlier, or perhaps I'm going to ask people who know people like that, or I'm going to search, whatever, I'm going to do some research and I'm going to find out what podcasts they listen to. Then I'm going to reach out to those hosts and I'm going to say, Hey, I've got, uh, you know, credibility, I love your show, credibility indicator here and there and say, Hey, I just wanted to suggest three possible topics for your show. I'd love to come on just, you know, reply with a yes. And we can talk about times and which, which topic you think would be best. And those topics that you're suggesting are, you know, they should be in line with what your eventual call to action is going to be to get them to sign up for your mailing list. So we almost could have started at the end. Like when you go on a podcast, 
how should you close it? What should be the last thing that you do? And I think the last thing you should do, you shouldn't even be going on podcasts unless you have some kind of next action that you want the audience to take. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's actually this, this, I, Jonathan, I remembered why I brought up Mark Butler. Oh, <laughs> he on his, yeah, I'm good. First of all, I mean, I could pretend like it was an object lesson to illustrate what a, a dingling you look like if you can't remember <laughs> why you brought something up. I think people got that point. Uh, but that's not actually why I did it. I, I legitimately had a something I was going to, a point I was going to make and then I forgot midstream. You're going to forget it again if you don't. <laughs> I, I'd like to keep a pad of paper in front of me uh, when I'm on podcasts, either on this one or others, for that exact reason, so that I can kind of map out the route back uh, if I get lost. I don't mm. always do that, but it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah. So Mark has this podcast, uh, The Mark Butler Show. He mentioned something he had heard from somebody else, which was related to this idea of doing B minus work. And I think we should have a whole nother show about this. I don't think I can do this justice because I have done a lot of B, B minus work for a specific purpose, not because it's the best I'm capable of, but because I've made an intentional trade-off between quality and quantity. And mm. I think some really freaking awesome stuff has come out of that. So I'm actually a fan of it, but I think it's also something that has to be contextually appropriate for your business. There's a time and oh, place yeah. to do B minus work. I but, love I love this concept. Yeah. I've never I've never heard this before, but I know exactly what you mean. We should definitely do a show on this. Yeah. I'll add it to I actually I'll start a list of topics. <laughs> and it'll one. be at the top. Um so briefly, uh I have intentionally done a lot of B minus work so I can quickly work my way through basically quickly develop expertise. That's the mm -hmm. the purpose for me using it. But at a certain point, you start to look like a dummy if you keep doing it. I think, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I might be at that point actually. So I, I, I'm probably gonna have to change my approach and take more of a, this is the, te you know, the quote unquote Ted talk that I'm doing this quarter type approach, or I'm going to do one quote unquote Ted talk. And when I put quotes around it, like it's not actually a Ted talk, but it's, it has that importance and function for my business. Right. And I can't do three such talks in that time period. I can only do one. So which one's it going to be? Yeah, it's and the it, same function as a traditionally published book, which takes like six months of your life and it's right. highly focused. It's poured over by editors and ripped to shreds and put back together. And by the end of it, you feel like you've gone through. It's the same thing. So like this huge, deeply researched, probably very personal and high, probably very high value to the audience type of thing that just sets you way apart. So it's like you hit a bunch of doubles and then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm going to swing for the fence on this one. Yeah. And, you know, like you and I have talked about this, Jonathan, it, it brings up the larger question of, is it okay to do a B minus podcast appearance? <laughs> or is there right. a certain point in your progression as, um, at whatever you do where that would be worse for your business? Like, I think... I, I'm interrupting myself, but I think there's a time <laughs> and a place where doing B minus work is better for you than not doing the B minus work. But then mm -hmm. it flips at a certain point doing B minus work. It, I think it becomes harmful. Yeah. 
So, I, yeah, we, we yeah. should def, we should definitely do a show on this because I think it's it's super interesting and it's probably uh, people who are just imagining doing any of these things because they're used to kind of doing either staff augmentation or they're just not really promoting themselves as a business. They're just doing freelance in the traditional way, like a Lance for hire mm-hmm. uh, to do as told. If, if they haven't done any of this stuff yet, but they know they don't like being doing what they're told and feel like they have more to offer, then this can get super overwhelming really quickly because it's like, wait, 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 I can fail in public. It's okay to say, I don't know, but don't experiment on a podcast because mm-hmm. it's forever. You know, it, <laughs> right. it's very, it gets super subtle. Yeah. I think doing anything's better than doing nothing and trying to do your best all the time is great. But perfectionism is a disease and it is anti-progress. So there's a balance to be struck there. But yeah, we should, I, I, I put it in Skype so we can remember to do this later because it's a great idea. Cool. What have we missed? We should probably wrap this sucker up. Yeah, I mean, I think we touched every aspect. It's like how to pick shows, how to, how to do outreach, how to comport yourself during the interview, how to combat nerves, how to wrap up. Um, yeah, I think this is a tour de force intro <laughs> to podcast guesting. Love it. Let's do some picks. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20. And it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf. Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. What do you got in terms of picks? All right. So a couple of on-topic things here. One is Huff Duffer, which is a, I think it's a little side project from a speaking buddy of mine, Jeremy Keith, who he put together this, it's kind of like, it's hard to describe, but I use it to collect all of my podcast appearances. So Philip earlier said, you know, you said that it's tough to remember which ones you did. What I do is when once one of them goes live, the host almost always will email you because they want you to promote it on social media. And when that, as soon as that link is live, I'll go to it and click this Huff Duffer bookmarklet that says Huff Duff It. And what that does is it takes the the URL it finds of the of the web page, it finds the audio file on that page, it pulls the description out of the RSS feed, and it creates, and over time, as you keep doing that, it creates a list of shows that, that you've been on. So it's kind of like being able to curate your own collection of episodes from a variety of podcasts into one podcast feed. So it's kind of like a meta aggregator. Uh, but I just use it to all, all of my shows that I appear on, I just huffed up it when it comes out. And so there's this long feed that someone could actually subscribe directly to and it would get, you know, they would get the, um, 
they would be sick of it by show three because I, you know, a lot of it is me saying this, beating the same drum over and over again with different hosts. But uh, that's where I, I keep that. So check out hoptupper.com for that. Uh, another podcast centric thing. We mentioned Kai Davis earlier. He has a new podcast, which will probably be launched by the time this episode goes live called get more clients. Guess what it's about? <laughs> yeah. But Kai does, I think his, I think Kai's superpower is outreach. He's just unbelievably good at it and he does, he does many things, but I think that is his superpower. And there is an episode called dream 20 outreach. It's episode number six. And I think everybody who's thinking about any of this should listen to it because it's 100% solid gold. And last one, not related to work, but related to podcasts. I recently discovered Mabim Bam, my brother, my brother and me, which is probably the funniest podcast I've ever heard. And that is saying something because I've listened to some funny podcasts. But if you have a hole in your life that was left by you look nice today going offline, you definitely owe it to yourself to listen to Mabim Bam because it is a laugh riot. So if you liked if you like Marlon Mann's style of humor and you miss new episodes of You Look Nice Today, definitely check out My Brother, My Brother, and Me. I got to double down on that. The um, the language is salty, but uh, the content is hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. I, listened, I was in the front yard on Sunday trimming a holly bush. And doubled over laughing with my shears as joggers were going by, like looking, <laughs> what's what's so funny about that holly bush? That guy is cracking up. Guys in the white coats are going to show up for you soon. <laughs> it was, I felt like a crazy person, but I could not stop laughing. It's so funny. I'm super far behind, but uh, mm, I love that show too. I, let's see, I'm, I'm going to pick the Mark, but Mark Butler show. I'm going to link to that in the show notes and I'm going to offer a little more context on why I think it's great. I'm friends with Mark, so I'm predisposed, I suppose, to be a little more generous in my assessment. But when I try to be just critical of what he's doing on the show, I, I can't help but love it anyway. Like it doesn't reduce my enjoyment of the show to try to sort of take cast a critical eye upon it. Mark has been inside of a lot of businesses because he's sort of a chief financial officer for hire. He is specialized in that he likes to work with life coaches who have a sort of online marketing or digital product component to their business. So he's not a CFO for hire for any kind of company. He is specialized in a type of client. What makes Mark's insight so valuable to me is that he's been inside of companies that are not identical to mine, but like mine. And I think like what a lot of listeners to this podcast would like their business to look like, where they do have some revenue flowing in from, let's say, a book they've published or a course they've put together or something that they sell so that you're literally making money while you sleep. I would like to support you in that mission. And that is why I'm recommending that you check out the Mark Butler show. Mark's So Mark's uh, advice and guidance and view of the world is like a very data numbers heavy view. And he is going to call BS on stuff that doesn't work from a numbers perspective. It's great. It's the Mark Butler show. Check it out. It's a very listenable once a week between 20 and 
50 minute podcast. That's it. That's my pick for this week. Jonathan, thanks for joining me. This was a super interesting convo. Look forward to when we talk about doing B minus work. That'll be fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Describe my entire high school experience. Ah. <laughs> thanks you all out there for tuning in. We'll see you next time on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.